Uh, we've been going through the book of James this year, and we'll continue uh, in chapter 3. Uh, chapter 3 began with uh, James exhorting us not to be many teachers among us, because such come under greater judgment or condemnation. And we discussed the fact that actually all of us are teachers. Uh, if you're a father, you're a mother, you're a teacher. If you're an older brother or sister, uh, if you're a younger one, you've got younger kids beyond you. All of us do teach. Uh, in the things we say, and the things we do, and things we don't do, and things we don't say. We also talked about the tongue, and that uh, every bird and beast and, and reptile and sea creature has been tamed and shall be tamed by mankind, but no man has been able to tame the tongue. And we discussed the fact that the problem is not really the tongue. <laughs> the problem is the heart. We open our mouths. It's like a window into our hearts, and people see our hearts. So really, it's the heart that needs to be tamed. So this morning, before we talk more about James, I'd like to just kind of once again reiterate the Christian life, because much of what James is talking about is the problems that come from not getting the Christian life down correctly. And Jesus talks about the fact that is a branch, a vine and a branch. Now let me ask you, if you have a branch that's growing out of a vine and you cut the branch off, will that branch bear fruit? If the branch is separated from the vine, will it bear fruit? It will not. Because the vine is the very life that supports the branch. As long as the branch is attached to the vine, the life of the vine flows through and much fruit is born. But the second we take that branch off, oh, it may have a flower on it or two, but in a day or two, it will wither and go. Jesus says the same about us. He says, as a branch cannot bear fruit apart from the vine, neither can you bear fruit apart from me. So the Christian life is really about the life of Christ, his life, the life of the vine being expressed through your life and my life. It's not, it's not a discipline. It's not trying to figure out, you know, what's going to please God or what I should do or what I shouldn't do. The Christian life is simply about abiding in the vine. He who gave his everything for us, as Robin shared, he who is life itself, he who is truth itself, abiding in him, and then his life, his life abides in us. It doesn't take any effort at all on your part or my part to live the Christian life. But it takes a world of intentionality. Because to the extent we abide in anything other than Christ, we do not abide in him. Now let me ask you, I know all of you probably get on the internet if, with your cell phone or on your computer. And you know, if you sit, you want to put that button, touch into the WAN or the wireless connection, you'll see a bunch of addresses you can go to. It'll be my address, it'll be this address, all these different servers you can tap into. But there's one that says Jesus. Now, if you and I tap into any server other than Jesus, into us is downloaded whatever is on that server. But if you and I tap on that one address that says Jesus, then Jesus is downloaded into us. And the life of Christ is really, it's, it's like streaming. You know what streaming is? It's like getting on that server, abiding in Christ, and then he streams his life through you, and he streams his life through me. 
His love, His joy, His peace, His patience, His kindness, His goodness, His faithfulness, His self-control, His very life streamed through you and me. And that is the Christian life. That is the life that He wants each of us to have. Now, James starts off by saying, you know, count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing this, that the trying, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its perfect work that you may be complete, entire, lacking in nothing. Okay, it begs the question, what are we lacking? What are we lacking? Why are we tested? We're tested to show us the tests come to show us all those things that we abide in that are not Christ. Because the, 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 the source of all conflict between individuals, the source of all worry among us, is because, in fact, we have attached ourselves to those things that move and break. And when those things move and break, we move and break with them. If it's, it's, if it's something we want and that desire gets blocked, we get frustrated. If a person's blocking it, then we get frustrated to that person. It's the event that blocks it, we get frustrated with the event. We, we become victims to everything in this world that moves and breaks. Can you control anything in this world? Can I control anything in this world? No. But we can be controlled by almost anything. And anything we have an affection for, other than Jesus, it becomes an affliction. And anything we want to possess in and of ourselves, we become possessed by it. Our affections can become our afflictions. Those things we want to possess, possess us. And what James is talking about, he hits it chapter after chapter. Basically, he's addressing the life of a man or woman who is not abiding in Christ, but is abiding in things in this world and the result and what that life looks like. And it's exhortation, exhortation to back, get back, get into Christ. Now, he started off chapter 3 talking about teachers. And he ends chapter 3 about if you want to find a teacher, if you want to find a mentor, someone to teach you, someone in whom you want to study under, you need to choose someone who has wisdom. And then he says there's two types of wisdom. There's kind of wisdom of the earth, and there's wisdom that comes from above. And he would have us to submit ourselves to a teacher with wisdom. So he starts off by saying, Who is wise and has understanding among you? Who is wise and have understanding among you? Is there anyone wise that has understanding among you? Is this what we want? He says, let him show by his good life his works in the meekness of wisdom. Let him show by his good life his works in the meekness of wisdom. So this is a theme that James has actually talked about before. Let us show by our lives our character. You know, all the answers, all the right answers in the world, and a nickel will not buy you a cup of coffee. And oftentimes we want to go seek counsel from a person who 
has the greatest education or has the most amount of experience. But what James is going to tell us is that's not the person you want to go to. You don't want to go to the person who just got the information, who just has the experience. You want to go to a person who has wisdom. And the proof of that wisdom is demonstrated in his or her life. Let him, let her show through their good lives their good work in wisdom and in meekness. He says, now, if there's jealousy, if there's bitter jealousy or ambition, selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast. Don't boast that you're wise or don't boast that you have understanding. That's nullifying the truth. He says, this wisdom isn't the type of wisdom that comes from above, but it is earthly, devilish. For the wisdom that comes from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, impartial, full of good works, sincere, full of mercy and good works. Okay, he says if there's envying, bitter envying, and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast. Because this is not the kind of wisdom that comes from above. It is of the earth, earthly. What is... Where do jealousies come from? Jealousies come because we, someone has something we don't have. Someone has some position we don't have. Someone can do something we can't do. And we become jealous. But why do we become jealous? Because we are not drawing our life from the vine. We're drawing our life from some other server that we can be successful, that we can master this, that we can master that. And we become jealous of people who are doing that, and we're not. And we can even become bitter, because we can't do that, become bitter with God. Jealousy, coveting that which another owns. But why do we become jealous? Jesus says, you know, you have me. I've given everything to you. I am everything. Why would you need to be jealous of anything or anyone? Well, the only reason we're jealous is because we're not going to the true vine. We're not going to him. We're not drawing our life from him, but we're drawing it from things of this world. And we're jealous of people who have things we don't have or people who can do things we can't do or people who can go places where we can't go. And we become jealous. And then he says selfish ambition. This isn't an ambition to, to do good, to, to save the world, to help the poor, help the needy. Selfish ambition is I want to achieve so I will have your praise or I'll have the praise of men. 
And he says, whether it's this jealousy, whether there's selfish ambition, what kind of heart do you have? What kind of heart does this man or woman have? It's, it's a heart full of, full of conflict. It's a heart full of self. It's completely, completely separated from the vine. And he says, you don't want to go to that person. That's not the person who you want to place yourself under. That person might have a bunch of answers, but that person does not have the heart that you want, does not have the heart that I want. He or she is not wise. But the wisdom from above is first pure. Pure means unmixed in its motives. Wisdom, by its definition, basically is seeing things from God's perspective. He's, we're told early in James, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and does not reproach him for asking. We saw that Solomon asked for wisdom as a young man before he took over his father's throne. And he was given this incredible wisdom. Unfortunately, he didn't act upon the wisdom that he had, so he became one of the most miserable men on the face of the earth. <laughs> he had wisdom, but he didn't abide. But the wisdom that comes from above is first pure. It's unmixed in its motives. It's like the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. No desire, if someone's coming to you, if you go into a person for wisdom, there's no agenda other than wanting to please God. There's no agenda other than wanting to abide in the vine. Pureness of heart, pureness of intent, no mix in motives. Then it's peaceable. This wisdom does not want to get involved in an argument. This wisdom just puts the truth on the table. Do you know, brothers and sisters, truth doesn't need to be defended? God doesn't need to be defended. Just put truth on the table. Truth will defend itself. Because truth is truth. Wisdom is gentle. It cares about other people. It's not abrupt. It doesn't disturb another person. It listens. This wisdom is open to reason. It's not argumentative. It'll listen to another person's perspective and not argue. Now, where do arguments come? Are you or I ever threatened by someone's opinion or someone's view on something? If you and I secure ourselves in our principles and our principles are threatened, then we become insecure and we react. Now, let me elaborate on that. A man without principles is like a, skeleton, like a man without a skeleton. He can't stand up. So we all need to have principles, right? But if I secure myself in my principles and someone comes up to me and says, Rick, you know, I understand you have 13 grandchildren. And 10 of them are homeschooled. And you know, I believe that we should talk about alternative lifestyles once a child is four or five years old. Let him decide whether or not he or she wants to be a boy or a girl. 
So I would like to give you some material that you can give to your daughters so they can train your grandchildren and give them this option of whether they want to be a boy or a girl. Now, you know what, brothers and sisters? If I have secured myself in my values, as this man is talking to me, my ears are turning red. <laughs> and by the time he finishes talking to me, I want to tell him how the cat ate the canary. Because what he said just really disturbed my peace. And the reason it disturbed my peace is I was seeking peace. I was seeking security in my convictions, not in Christ and Christ alone. But if I'm securing myself in Christ and Christ alone and someone says something like that to me, then I will say, really? Tell me more. You know, Jesus spent a lot of time associating with people who did not share his convictions. But it never turned him off. He was able to love them. And you know, some of the very people who are most abrasive to us are the very people who Father wants you and I to embrace and contact and share the love of Christ with them. But we can't do that if we are so vulnerable that what somebody does or doesn't do or says or doesn't says can set us off. That's a reaction. A reaction is an uncontrollable response. A reaction is what we do to save our lives, to save our equilibrium, to save our peace. And the only reason we ever react to anything is because that which we are securing ourselves in has been threatened. And Jesus said, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. For where your security is, there your heart will abide. And if you and I secure ourselves in anything in this world, when that thing is threatened, when that thing moves, we'll be threatened by it and we'll move with it. And in this world, brothers and sisters, everything moves, everything breaks on the long run except Jesus. So Jesus would say, basically, don't put your security in anything in this world where everything moves and everything breaks. Place all your security in me. I will never fail you nor forsake you for where you're treasure is where your security is there your heart will abide also okay this wisdom this wisdom is also full of mercy full of mercy how do you how do you become a merciful person well first of all if you abide in the vine it's a fruit of the spirit it's love but one of the greatest teachers of mercy is as we look at this cross and we think about what great mercy Father has had on us. And not only has he had mercy, but he's had grace. You know what mercy is? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. So if I'm in the line at McDonald's and somebody breaks in front of me and I don't just grab them and say, you know, that's mercy. But if I jump up in front of him and then buy his meal for him, that's grace. Not I've not responded to what he did, I gave him mercy, but I gave him grace. I reached out and did something positive. As you and I look at Calvary and think about the fact that your sins and my sins added to his sorrows, this is what this heart of gratitude also breeds a heart of mercy when we see others. And I guarantee you, brothers and sisters, anybody who is not a Christian deserves our mercy. Because it's only by the grace of God that any of us are Christians. 
because we were all running to hell just as fast as we could get there, and one day Father put his foot out and tripped some of us, caught us on the downfall, and gave us grace to understand the gospel, gave us grace to desire the gospel, and then give us grace to accept the gospel, because by grace are you saved through faith. And he said that faith did not even come from yourself. It's God's gift, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are all sitting here saved today, completely apart from any of our effort. God chose us. Jesus says, all who the Father has given to me will come to me. All who the Father has given to me will come to me. And no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. So if you, brothers and sisters, are sitting in this room today, a Christian, it's because Father drew you. You didn't choose him. That's what Jesus says. You didn't choose me. I chose you. Each of us has been chosen today by Christ. Full of mercy toward one another. And full of good works. And the good works come from our abiding in Christ. Because apart from the vine, we can do nothing. What kind of work can we do apart from the vine? You know what he calls everything that we do apart from him? He calls it nothing. Nothing. You know, one day you and I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ because the very fact we're there means it's not about salvation. Where our works will be tested and everything that you or I did out of our own strength, out of our own ability, we'll see burned up. And every work that the Holy Spirit did, every work that was accomplished by the life of Christ flowing through you and flowing through me, that work stands. Well, you'd say, well, Rick, why in the world, you know, do you get a crown, do you get a reward for something you didn't do? Well, the answer to the question is because we let God do it. And that's what he wants to do. He doesn't want to help us. He actually wants to do it. You know, for years I said, God, help me, God, help me, God, help me. And that, I mean, that's, there's no bad motive in that but it's just not the right request it's would you please do it would you just live your life through me would you give me your patience with this person would you give me your peace in this circumstance in this situation and that's one of the attributes of wisdom it's peaceable it's peaceable it doesn't want to argue it doesn't want to contend but peaceable, a man who is peaceable also has peace. And where does peace come from? Well, from the world's standpoint, peace comes from having everything nailed down. Things aren't breaking. I'm not sick. I'm not out of food. I'm not out of clothing. But that's a very fragile peace because things are always moving. Things are always breaking. The only kind of peace that matters is the peace of Christ. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. It's an impartation. It's, it's his very life, his very peace given to you and to me. God keeps in perfect peace the mind that stayed on him. It has nothing to do with circumstances. It has to do with our relationship as a branch abiding in the vine. If you and I are abiding in the vine, if we're abiding in Christ, and the peace of Christ, which surpasses understanding, will guard our hearts and minds. 
possibly the worst year in my adult life where Kathy and I were most tested, circumstantially, was one of the sweetest, most peaceful years we ever had. It had nothing to do with our circumstance. And you know what? It actually brought me a lot of joy because I realized with this going on and I still have peace, that is something to rejoice in. Father wants you and I to be completely invulnerable to this world that's moving and breaking. He wants you and I to be caught up in in his, his life, his attitude, his peace, his joy. That nothing, no circumstance can steal it. The fruits of the Spirit are like stars in the sky. You see any stars now? No. But if you go to Fredericksburg, Texas, on a night where there's no moon, you can see stars all the way down the horizon. You can see the Milky Way. And that's the way the fruits of the Spirit are. No, how's someone going to see unconditional love unless you've just received a condition not to love them? How's someone going to see true joy unless circumstantially there's no reason for you to have joy? How's someone going to see true peace unless there's no reason for you to have peace? So it is with the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are the supernatural life of God being expressed through you and me has nothing to do with our circumstance, has only everything to do with our position, our abiding in Christ. Abide in me, Jesus says, and I will abide in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing, you can bear no fruit. Depart from me and you'll be just like a vine that withers. But if you abide in me, I will abide in you and my life, my, the, my fruit, you will bear much fruit. My life will flow through you. And when this happens, this brings Father glory. And this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Is This is my Father glorified that my life is expressed through you. Because you'll be just like me because my Father's life manifests in me. The Christian life for you and I is the same life that Christ lived. Christ lived his life abiding in the Father. The deity of the Father flowed through the Son and expressed himself in this world. Christ's every temptation was to call upon his deity. He never did one time, but lived a life never more than a man in complete submission and abiding in the Father. And he says that same life, the works that I've done you shall do also, and greater works than these because I go to the Father. We have the Spirit of God in us. We have a new nature that's been created in His image, His likeness and righteousness and holiness. He's taken away our heart of stone. He's given us a heart of flesh. He's written His law upon our heart. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. And he's just saying simply, come to me. He, he doesn't say, bring your theology to me. He doesn't say, you got to get it figured out. He doesn't say you have to memorize all the Bible. He doesn't, have to say, doesn't say you have to, to do this or do that. He doesn't say you have to stop chewing gum. <laughs> if you abide in him, he changes our appetites. He changes our likes. We, we just start doing the things he wants us to do. He downloads his will into our hearts in terms of a desire. 
If you and I become the men and women Christ wants us to be, we will do the things Christ wants us to do. And we will have his wisdom. His wisdom, which is pure and peaceful and gentle and open to reason and full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and it's sincere. And if you have and I have that wisdom of Christ, that will be very, very helpful to our families, to our work, to ourselves, and to the world. God is sending each of you out today as his ambassadors to the world. But as an ambassador, if we go out and try to do it ourselves, we can't do it. The ambassador, the ambassador, wants to flow his life through us to this very broken and fallen world. Jesus wants to manifest himself. We're going to talk about, in the next chapter of James, James says, haven't you heard that, that he yearns, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell inside you? God yearns jealously over the spirit he's made to dwell inside us. Do you, do I want the God of the universe jealously yearning over our spirits? He purchased our spirits with the blood of his own son who three times protested and said, Could I, would you take this cup away? He said, no, no, no. He's jealous for our hearts. There's one place for our hearts to abide, and that's in him. I don't personally want to give the God of the universe any cause for jealousy because that's a lot of emotion from a very big person. There's no reason God should be jealous for the intentions of my heart or the intentions of your heart. There's one place to go. And that's to the cross. He says, come to me, all you who are tired and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, learn of me. I am meek and lowly in spirit, and you will find rest unto your souls. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful gift you have given us in Jesus. The first, the last, the beginning, the end, the salt of the earth, the light of the world. He who was and is and is to come the bread of life. Father, give us the grace not to forsake your heart. Give us the grace not to be adulterers and adulteresses. Give us the grace not to give ourself to abiding in the world of the things of this world. But may our hearts find peace, rest, truth, life, security, solace, nowhere save in you and you alone. In Jesus' name.